Uh, we are so glad you're here this morning to join us, and we are going to continue our series, if you've been joining us for a while, uh, in the book of Philippians and our pathway to joy. And so this morning we're looking at Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, and we're going to be looking at how humility affects and helps us in our pathway to joy. So I'll read from Philippians chapter, one, chapter 2, verses 1 through 11 from the NIV. <clears throat> Verse 1. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vacancy. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that in the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. This is the word of God. Uh, please join me in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for your son. Thank you for the way you've been leading, uh, Lord, our church into this pathway of joy, to teaching us what joy is. And I pray you continue, Holy Spirit, to open our minds and our hearts to understand that, Lord, part of, the, Lord, part of our way to understanding and living in your joy is, Lord, to understand what humility is. So I pray that through your word and through your spirit, you will speak to us this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, before we start, I kind of want to ask a quick quiz for you guys. Uh, if you were to look at me, uh, I want you to guess what sport I played in high school. But before you answer, understand that in high school, I was still the same height, 5'9", but I was at least 20 pounds lighter. I was 155 pounds. So I'm 5'9", 155-pound high school kid. What sport do you think I played? And I'll give you, I'll give you one more clue. It wasn't ping pong, all right? It's not, it's not ping pong, okay? I like ping pong, but I didn't play it in high school. Wrestling, wow, okay. Tennis, okay. You're, thank you guys, you're all wrong. Uh, <laughs> I played from JV to varsity, starting offensive tackle or guard on the football team. Yes, I know that was your first thought. I know that was your first thought. When you imagine an, a football player, I know you imagine 5'9", 155 pounds. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I wasn't a receiver. I played on the offensive line. I was playing against guys who were six feet tall and over 200 pounds every week. And um, anyway, what's <laughs> See, the two reason why I tell you a story is that it, while I was playing on the offensive line, either left tackle or left guard, and all the other guys with next to me, the center, the right guard, right, right tackle, if you play in the offensive line, uh, there's something you learn when you play together. Uh, you learn that... Uh, you know, basically, you do all the dirty work, and everyone else gets all the glory. You know, 
like when the team scores, when the receiver like catches the ball, or the running back scores, or the quarterback throws a touchdown, everybody loves them. But nobody cares about the dirty linemen, right? You know what? But playing in that position, uh, all of us would agree that when our team scored and someone else got the glory, we were actually fine with that. It didn't take anything away from us. It didn't take away our joy. It didn't take anything away from us because we knew that because we did our job, they were able to do what they did. And it didn't take any joy away from us. That being said, I, re I remember specifically my junior, my senior year, there was a pretty boy quarterback who uh, all he cared about was how he looked before the game started. I, to this day, I remember him. We're in the locker room. He's looking at himself in the mirror, making sure his jersey's tucked in, looking at like how he looks. And I remember thinking, I hate you. <laughs> I said, I hate you, man. <laughs> because, I mean, all he cared about is how he looked. And I, we remember specifically when we were playing that here we are, we're battling guys who basically want to take this guy's head off. We're battling him, we're protecting him. And every time he got in a little bit of trouble, he would just throw the football away. He wouldn't even get a our, our, our team a chance to run a play. He would just, because he panicked, he would just throw it away. Because all he cared about was, was like saving his own skin. And whenever he got tackled, he would blame us. And part of it was our fault. We didn't protect him as well as we could. But then again, what do you get for having a 155-pound lineman? I mean, you can, only, you can only expect so much. I'm sorry. Right? But he would blame us for everything that didn't go wrong. And then when, he got, when things went well, he would take all the credit. And the reason why I say this, what does this story have to do with what we've been learning about joy, a biblical understanding of joy, is that this story tells us, you know, as we go through the, the book of Philippians about the biblical understanding of joy, is that it illustrates the difference between humility and pride and how it affects how we receive and understand what joy is. And I tell this story because this morning's passage in Philippians 2, Paul is going to illustrate to the Philippian church and to us today, that imitating Jesus' humility is a remedy to a killer of joy, which is pride. That it's through humility that we, not just you individually, that we make room in our hearts for God to give us joy. So a better question that I want you to think about throughout the sermon and even throughout the week is to stop asking yourself so much, what about me? God, what about me and fill in the blank? I think the better question is, and we, as we've been learning about, when Paul's been using the word you in, in this book, it's always about a, a plural you. The better question you should ask your, ourselves is, instead of what about me, God, and fill in the blank, a better question to ask is, what about we? Instead of what about me, what about we, God? How do we experience your joy? And I think it'll change your perspective. It'll open up your heart in ways you didn't think possible. So we're going to be looking at a couple of things. We're going to look at, so the first thing I want us to look at is uh, how humility helps clear the pathway to joy. How humility helps clear the pathway. We're going to look at the first four verses. How does humility fit with joy? Like how does like being humble and, hu and, and having humility fit with joy? Because hum humility is such an important and it's an essential element of our lives. But at the same time, it's one of those weird things to talk about. Like it's like the rule, it's like fight club. The first rule of Fight Club is what? You don't talk about Fight Club. The first rule about humility is you yourself don't talk about it, right? You can't say, I'm the most 
humble person in the world. I, I'm really humble. Because the minute you say it, you negate it, right? It, it's like you get taken away. So like, what, what are we supposed to do about it? But we need to talk about humility. Because when it comes to the idea of, and if you've been here for a while, you've been hearing us say this, the idea about discipleship, about learning, unlearning, and relearning, what it means to have joy in our lives. Once again, we're defining joy as not a happy feeling. That's not joy. But we're talking about joy is a settled state of confidence and hope in God. Joy is a settled state of confidence and hope in God. And here in Philippians 2, Paul is writing to the church and to us to teach them, to instruct them how you find joy, how you get joy. But, but it's almost like, hey, before I tell you how you get joy, let's talk about something that gets in the way of joy. Okay, we need to talk about this kind of this elephant in the room first, and then we can get to the issue. And so he says, this huge obstacle of joy, selfish ambition and vacancy, in other words, pride. He says, we got to talk about pride. He says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vacancy. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. Paul basically is saying twice how big this problem is. He says, don't be selfish. Don't do out of vacancy. And he kind of says it again in a different way. Consider others better than yourselves. He has to say it twice because it's such a big issue. And as Jordan and Jessica were mentioning last week on how suffering plays a part in our, in our pathway to joy, uh, last week they said suffering refines the goal of our faith. He says, when you and I suffer, when you and I go through suffering, it changes the goal of our faith because it moves us from the goal of our faith from having a good life to, having, to getting God. What suffering does, it refines the purpose of your faith from just having a good life to getting God. The goal and the purpose of a Christian's life, the goal and purpose of someone who's been united with Jesus Christ is to get God and get more of Him. And humility is one of those ways that helps us, but we have to address some of the issues. See, New York City apartments are a lot like our hearts. Yeah, whether you live in a studio, one bedroom, two bedroom, three bedroom, if you're lucky, four bedroom, you know, let's, be, let's talk afterwards and be friends. But uh, New York City apartments are a lot like our hearts in the sense that it, there's a limited amount of space. Right? There's a limited amount of space. We only have so much room for so much. Like, and the question is, like, if you, had, if you had a new furniture, if you had new furniture, like a new couch coming in, a new bed coming in, how do you make room for it? You make room for it by taking the old stuff out. Right? How do you make, how do you, how do you make room in your, in your apartment when you have guests? Like you have friends come over, relatives come over, friends come over. How do you make room? You have to kind of shift some stuff around. You got to move it. You got to hide some stuff, throw things in the closet. You got to do kind of all kinds of things to make room. And likewise, how do you and I get more joy? How do you, get, how do you and I, if the goal of our life is to get more of God, how do you and I do that? We have to make room. We have to take stuff out. And the biggest thing in our heart and in our room is pride, is ourselves. We get in the way of ourselves. The, and Paul is saying, look, you, therefore, says, since you are with Jesus now, there's a whole way of living we got to do. We got to make some room. We got to change some stuff around. 
And so, in order for us to get more of God and join our hearts, we need to make the room. Now, I do want us to be clear about this. Sometimes we make the, mis- we make the mistake as we read the Bible of picking up key like commands or instructions and totally taking them the wrong way. Uh, Paul is not saying here that he's against ambition. Sometimes people make the mistake and say, oh, as a Christian, you should just, you know, keep your head down, just do your 9 to 5, don't cause any waves, just be humble, without even knowing what that means. Paul is not speaking against ambition. Paul is not speaking against being excellent. Paul is not speaking against doing and trying to advance your life and your career or anything. Paul is not speaking against that. But what he is speaking against about is a problem. He says, he, he phrases it this way. He says, you don't, he goes, don't have selfish ambition. Don't have vain conceit. He frames it that way. There's nothing wrong with it. See, God's grace and love for us and for you and I in our lives, it is about you. It is about your lives becoming better, to receive more joy, to be fuller in a lot of ways. But this is the, this is the distinction we need, we need to make. God's love and grace for you and, and Jesus Christ, it is about you. But it's not all about you. Do you get the difference? It is about you. God does care about you. But it's not all about you and me. Our, God's universe does not revolve around us. And what Paul says is, he says, therefore, he's talking about, you have to understand, look, because you're united with Christ, the whole orbit of your life needs to change. You're not the center anymore. Your whole, the whole orbit of your life has to change. Rick Warren, he says, true humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. True humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. And what he, what he means is, is, true humility is not like, oh, I am a worm, God. I'm so bad. I'm, like, how could you love someone like, like a piece of dirt like me? Right? That's not humility. Right? Equally so, I didn't, and I, meant, I, did, I forgot to mention in the first service, humility is also not self-pity. Right? Thinking, thinking of yourself less, like, you know, of like just, oh, I'm the most miserable person. I don't know why anyone loves me. Because that's still pride, because in the end, it's all about you. Pride and self-pity are the same thing. They're just opposite ends of the other coin. But humility is about thinking about yourself less. In other words, it's not all about you. Stop making yourself the center of the universe. See, when Paul says, talking about ambition and everything, he says, that's fine. But he says, he's pushing the envelope and saying, look, it's fine to have ambition, but here's a much more broader and practical perspective that we need to have, is that when you are, going for, when you are pursuing your ambition, when you are pursuing your dreams, when you are pursuing your advancement in your career or whatever, how do, how do we move that beyond from selfish ambition and vacancy, basically being proudful? He says, he's kind of pushing and says, do those things, sure. Go after the, if God gave you gifts and talents and skills, go for it. Do it. Use it. Use the gifts God's given you. But he says, but how is that helping others? How is that helping others, benefiting others, blessing others? And on top of that, he pushes even further. How does all that, even if you help others, how does that glorify God? How does it bring glory to God? How does it help others know who Jesus is? 
So the Christian life is not about a, mor- like a morality in terms of living a good life. Christian life, we said the goal of the Christian life is to get God, to know Him more, to see Him more, to be more like Him. And in our ambition and in our pursuit, He's saying, how does that help others? How does that help you think better of others, value others above yourself? And how does that in the end give glory to God? Paul says, rather in humility, value others above yourself. We've heard the golden rule, right? The golden rule is treat other people like you want to be treated. You know, I tell my kids that all the time, but I realize there's a flaw in that. It's not a gospel principle. You should not treat people as you, are, as you like to be treated because sometimes some of us like, are, treat ourselves badly, right? So what's the gospel response? What's the godly Jesus response to it, the golden rule? It's a godly rule, a Jesus rule. Treat others like God treated you. Elevate it. Push it, push it. Paul's like, push it, push it further. How does treat other people like God treated you? And you've heard Jordan say this. Undeserving people get unconditional love and grace from an unobligated giver. God, who did not have to give love or forgive or save, gives undeserving people like you and I his unconditional love and grace. And Paul's saying, treat others like you were treated by God. But this is hard. Let's not lie. It's hard. It's hard not to think about ourselves. We, we have feelings. We have dreams. We have things that we want in our lives. And it's hard. We, sometimes we've been disappointed. Sometimes we think, look, if I don't do this, if I don't take care of myself, who is going to take care of me? Because there's no one else around in my life, so I got to do it. I have to make sure these things happen. Or maybe you trusted people and they let you down. Loved ones, friends, family, whoever, they just let you down. And so you're just disappointed. And this disappointment started from the garden when Adam and Eve sinned against God. When God says, don't eat that. You can have anything you want. Just don't eat that thing. And Satan comes along and says, did God say you would truly die? And then here, this this mistrust, this doubt was introduced. And and because pride, the danger of pride is because it says, I don't need you, God. I don't want you, God. And in the end, you know what? I'll just be God. And pride is a closed fist that refuses to accept anything unless it's met on its own term. Pride says, if I want joy in my life, it better fit in this parameter. Otherwise, forget it. So the danger of pride is Paul is addressing because it's such a huge problem. And here, here's what Paul's trying to make clear. And here's what scripture, scripture reveals the problem of pride. The problem of pride and the danger of pride and selfishness is that selfishness and pride are inherently, by nature, life-taking, not life-giving. The nature, and the, and the nature of pride and selfishness is that it takes life. It doesn't give life. It sucks the life and joy out of others because ultimately, it's about sustaining your own happiness. I will be happy at, your, at, the, at the risk of your own happiness. Pride is like a vampire. It, it lives by taking the life out of others. It doesn't care about others. You know, we talked about in our teaching team, this is why when Paul talks about one body, many parts, there's this really small instruction that we hear all the time, it says, rejoice with those who rejoice. And then it says, mourn with those who mourn. And the strange thing is, it's easier to mourn with those who mourn because we're like, hey, you're miserable, me too. We can do this together. 
But it's, it's really hard to rejoice when someone else is doing well when you're not. You're actually happy about their success, their well-being, their goodness. That's harder. And that speaks into the, the, the kind of the depth, the level of our pride that we have difficulty rejoicing with other people around us because we're so concerned with ourselves. And humility clears that path. It's keeping us from understanding and enjoying God's love for us and join us. And it clears that path because pride is that bottleneck. It says it has to fit in this. Whereas humility is a pathway that makes room in our hearts for God to give us joy. Peter Kraft, he's a professor at Boston College, I think of uh, religion and philosophy. He says this. He says, the deepest reason God hates pride, the reason pride is so hellish, is that it keeps us from knowing God, our supreme joy. Pride looks down, and no one can see God but by looking up. Let me say it again. He says, the deepest reason God hates pride, the reason why it ruins us so hellish, is that it keeps us from knowing God, who is our supreme joy. Pride looks down, and no one can see God but by looking up. From the introduction of sin in the garden, it's been a blame game. When God came in and said, hey, what is going on? Where are you? What are you doing? The first thing Adam says is, hey, God, it's your fault. This woman you gave me, she gave me that fruit. Then Eve proceeds to blame the serpent. The serpent tricked me. And it's been a blame game about self-preservation. The goal of Christian life, is to get God. The goal of Christian life is to enjoy and understand that God is our supreme joy. And the reason why pride is so dangerous and the reason why Paul has to address this and say, look, you have, we have to talk about this first because it keeps our hearts from receiving and understanding the love of God and joy of God. The second part is humility. It makes sure that you and I get on the right path. Humility makes sure we get on the right path. In verse 5, it says, In your relationship with one another, had the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, and this is a keynote, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. See, this is interesting the way Paul writes. Paul says, hey, okay, don't be selfish. Don't do things out of vain conceit. Value others. Think of others better than yourselves. And then he proceeds to give instruction, but he says, hey, have the same mindset of Jesus Christ. And he proceeds to talk about what Jesus did. It's interesting the way Paul writes to encourage the Christians here and for us today. Too often, a lot of us, when we're told we should do something, but we don't feel like we're up to it, we'll look in the mirror and say, hey, come on, man, you can do it. You can do it. And we'll give ourselves a pep talk. Right? Or we'll look around us and say, hey, if that person can do it, if he can do it, if she can do it, I'm pretty sure I can do it. We start comparing ourselves to other people around us. But Paul doesn't say that. Paul says, he says, he doesn't address the issue by saying, hey, you just need to kind of like just psych yourself up and kind of energize yourself and talk yourself into it. What does he say? He says in verse 5, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. In other words, Paul doesn't say, hey, look in the mirror or look around for inspiration. He says, you need to look up. If pride is constantly looking down, either on yourself or others. Paul says the solution is not to look at yourself again. He said the solution is you need to look up. You need to lift up your eyes, of your heart, of your mind, or even physically lift up and understand 
and see the examples of who God is. He says, look up, because you and I need to be reminded that the pathway of joy is found when we look up to God. See, pride looks down, but our hope and joy is found when we look up. Paul reminds us through through these next few verses that the blueprint of humility, the blueprint of finding what what pathway we should be on and how to get it, it's found in Jesus. And here's the reality and the beauty of, of Scripture and in the person and of the gospel. From Genesis to Revelation, this is, and this is important for us to realize, God never asks you to do something on your own. God has never asked you to do something on your, on your own. In fact, all through Scripture, we see God who has relentlessly pursued His people first. He always goes ahead, always makes the roadway, always does this, and then He says what? Follow me. He doesn't say, hey, you go ahead, I'll catch up to you. He always is first, always is in front, always makes the way, always takes the hits for us. And then He says, follow me. And we need to get on the right pathway. My youngest son, Max, he just turned eight. So I thank God for his life. I thank God that we had eight years with him and we survived eight years with him. And my son, my youngest, as much as I love him, has a real problem. His birthday was this past Friday, but I've been hearing about his birthday since January. In January, he's like, hey, Dad, guess what's coming up? Winter? I mean, what? Because my birthday, I'm like, your birthday's in six months. What are you talking about? Why am I talking about your birthday? I don't want to talk about it. And he'll talk about it in January, February, March, April, May, and then nonstop in June. And we had to have a talk. We had to have a sit down. I had to sit down with my oldest and my youngest about birthdays. And I said, hey, you need to understand why we celebrate your birthday. I said, uh, it's not about the presents. It's not about what you want. This is not what birthday is about. I said, I could care less about it. We could lose all our money, we could become poor, and then we would have nothing to give you. I said, that's not why we celebrate birthdays. I said, the reason why we are so thankful when we celebrate birthdays is because it marks the day that God put you in our hearts and our life. And it also marks the day how many how many years we've had with you. And this is why we celebrate. And I needed to make clear to him, this is the reason for birthdays. Because we, and by nature, talking about pride once again, we make good things, ultimate things, and we turn good things that God gives us into prideful things. And this is why it's so important for us to get on the right path. Because if you're not on the right path, you get filled with so many disappointments and and just your expectations don't get met. If my son grows up thinking birthdays are all about what I want, what I get, whenever I get it, he's going to be very hugely disappointed because I'm not doing that. And it's important for us to understand that this life that we have is not about you and me and what we want. Paul says, therefore, therefore, in terms like before, And even in Philippians 1, he says, for to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. He says, this is a new life, new rules. And Jesus shows us that our lives, how our lives were always meant to be. In verse 6, he says, 
not to his own family, even though he's God, even though he is God himself, it says, he did not live his life for his own advantage. Even though he, if anyone in the world does, even though he fully is worthy and deserves it, it says, he did not use his deity, his, his infinite worthiness for his own advantage. What does it say? He says, he made himself like us, humbled himself, and he fulfilled the very commands he gives us. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Value others. Think about the other people's interest above your own. And who does that perfectly? Jesus. You and I are the recipients of a God himself who humbled himself, did not think about his own good, but our good, valued us above his own life. And he says, this is the way you were always meant to live. This is the way to joy. And this is the pathway to it. So the reality is, in a good, healthy relationship, whether it be with friends, loved ones, family, whatever it is, in a good, healthy relationship, you are not the highest good. In a good, healthy relationship, the other person is the highest good, not you. And Philippians 2 is a demonstration that Jesus did not look to his own good, but he lived for the good of the glory of God and the glory of God the Father and for us. There is this interesting point. If you've ever seen the movie Doctor Strange, uh, if you haven't, I'm sorry, I'm going to spoil it for you, but it's been out for like eight months, so you, you've had your chance. <laughs> but he's a brilliant surgeon, and through, some, he, through an accident, he's no longer able to use his hand, and his whole life was, was based on his extreme talent and skill as a surgeon, and that gets taken away. And then he's given this power, and then even then, he's like, why can't I use this power to heal my hands and, and do all these things? And there's a profound moment in this movie where his teacher basically says, look, you're so caught up and you're so trapped by thinking about yourself that the minute he becomes free is when he's told these words. It's not about you. And you and I are the same way. You're trapped if your soul running hard to fulfill your own life, when Jesus himself doesn't do that, God himself doesn't do it, and he's just telling us, look, you'd be more free if you understood, look, it's not about you. It's not up to you. It's not up to you to fill your own life with joy. It's not up to you to do this. It's not about you. You just need to follow. Follow. Jesus says, no greater love, no greater love is this than one who lays down his life for his friends. And in, in verse 9 through 11, it talks about how God exalts him. And so lastly, we see how humility prepares us for the journey on the pathway. Humility prepares us, and honestly, it's a long journey. And we don't like to hear that. We don't like, this, we don't like the idea of like, you mean it's going to take a while, it's gonna, we have to put in some work? But humility prepares us for that. There's a podcast in This American Life where its title is, It'll Make Sense When You Get Older. If you had a chance to listen to it, you should, it's kind of fun to listen to. But we don't like to wait. And in this podcast, we've all heard this expression, especially if we're younger. We ask our parents for something, or like, how does this work, or what does that mean? And we tell our kids, or you've heard, it'll make sense when you get older. And in this podcast, it was like a 9- or 11-year-old boy 
who basically says, you know, yeah, I've heard that, I've heard that all my life, all nine years of his life. And he says, I think everything I need to know, I know now. This nine, 11-year-old boy says, everything I, I think, I think, everything I ever need to know in life, I know now. And I laughed out loud when I heard that. I imagine my, my oldest saying that, Dad, I know everything. And I'm like, you're, I won't say stupid, but like, that's not smart, okay? <laughs> Have an open mind. <laughs> but life is like that. And joy is like that. And our journey with God is like that. God gives us so many hints, so many clues. He drops left and right in front of our eyes. And we're actually in the midst of it right now. That there's so many examples and experiences in life that tell us that most of the best things that we have in our life, that we experience it, they take time to develop. It just takes time. And we experience bits and pieces of it. But biblically speaking, true joy, joy is like, Joy is humility's reward at the end. Even though you experience parts of it, you and I will experience fully later. And that's just the way it is. And humility prepares us for that. Just like I think about Olympic athletes who train for four years, that's a long time to train with nothing going on. But, and there's, there's a, they experience little bits of joy here and there as they progress, as they're, as they're getting better, faster, or whatever. And the true joy, the full joy is experienced when they win. But you cannot, and you and I cannot experience the joy without the journey. You just can't. It's, we're not made that way. Just like a seed, when you plant a seed in the ground, you look at a little seed and you're like, I don't know how that's going to turn out. It, it, it grows beyond our expectation. See, joy Joy is, a, you know, joy is a settled, let's define this way. Joy is a settled state and confidence and hope in God, whereas pride is an unsettled state of confidence and hope that's dependent upon you. It goes up or it goes down, depending on you. But joy is a settled state because it depends on the constant God, whereas pride, it depends completely on you. See, humility is making room in our hearts for the God to give us joy. So, let me, let me wrap up here. So there's, I want to talk about uh, this illustration about hoarders. So if you know anything about hoarders or hoarding, you know, and you've maybe seen uh, TV shows of it, is people just like fill their houses. So I do want to make a distinction between a pack rat and a hoarder, okay? Pack rat just like doesn't like throwing things away. A hoarder literally throws nothing away, okay? And so if you see the pictures of their home and it's like, it's just full of stuff. Some, some good stuff and some stuff you just scratch your head and you're like, I don't know why they kept that. Why did they keep that straw from KFC? I, it, but it's there and it has some kind of meaning to it. But this is the sad reality about hoarders is that the more you keep for yourself or the more they keep for themselves, the reality is the less room they have. You think about that? The more you keep for yourself, the reality is the less room you have for yourself. Because you're filling it so much things. There's no room for you anymore. There's no room for you anymore. And the same thing can be talked about, same thing about pride. The more you live and do things for yourself as the ultimate reason for doing things, the less room you have in your heart. And the expression, he who has the most toy wins, is a lie. He who has the most toys dies with the most toys around them. You don't get a prize for having the most things. 
So humility is making joy. Humility is making room in our hearts for God to give us joy. And it's in humility you could admit it prepares us for this pathway to joy, to receive joy. Because in humility, you admit that you don't see it all. You don't get it all. That you don't see like a week ahead of you. But that's okay. Because you understand, because there's joy that is a settled hope and confidence in God. You can trust that God will do it. That what you can't see with your own hands or eyes, you can, you can trust in what you do know and understand. That God is good. And in the person of Jesus Christ. See, humility is an open hand that is ready to receive what God gives. And also, not only is it an open hand, but it also holds on to the hand that leads it. And the reality is, you have two choices. You have two choices. Either you will try to grab, either you will try and grab joy in your life with your own hands, or you will open up your hands and let God give it to you. You have two choices. Either you're going to try and grab as much joy, whatever that is, with your own hands, or you're going to let God give it to you. And the reality is that God's hands are much bigger than our hands. So whatever I can grab with my hands pales in comparison to what God can give me. So I love Skittles. I think in heaven there will be Skittles because I think everything good in this world will be there in heaven. (laughs) And if I ask my kids to give me Skittles, their hands are only so big and they can give me a limited amount. I can grab a lot more Skittles with my own hands than my kids could with their hands. Now, multiply that times infinity and eternity and understand that what you can grab, what you and I can grab with our own hands in terms of joy pales in comparison to what God can give with his infinite eternal hands. A few weeks ago, our brother Aswan preached from Philippians 1 about standing firm. He says, whatever happens, stand firm. And humility prepares us for this pathway because it doesn't lie to us. It doesn't lie to us. It doesn't deceive us. It makes it clear, like, not how it's going to happen, but it makes it clear that it will happen. When you plant a seed, you, you can't de- determine how or when it's going to grow, but you just know that it will if you plant and water it. And so humility, even though it may not understand everything in front of it, knows that, but it will happen. Because it says, just as Jesus, therefore Jesus was given the name above all names. And he was raised and lifted up. And all the parts of scripture says, since you have died with Jesus Christ, so you will also be raised up with him. I told you, he's the path, he's the path maker. He's the pathfinder. He's the pioneer. He forges the path for us. So what we see in Jesus is what we get to experience later on as well. He's the example for us. And humility prepares us for that role. It says, even though I don't see it, I've seen the one who's done it, and I can trust in him. Let me leave you with this uh, final encouragement that, Paul, that Peter gives to the church from 1 Peter 5. He says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourself, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he, might, he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Look at Jesus. Be alert and of a sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around you like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith 
because you know that the family believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. You are not alone in this. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after, pay attention to this, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Humility helps us, prepares us for this path. Because while we may not understand this now, it'll make sense when you get older. If you trust in him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the example that you've given us in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And I pray that you would speak into each of our hearts that there are different areas in our life where we struggle with, Lord, either pride in terms of thinking too highly of ourselves or thinking or self-pity, thinking way too low, too low of ourselves. That is not worthy of what you have created us to be. And Lord, and we do have things we want. There are things we are dreaming about. And sometimes we are filled with disappointments. But I pray you would help us as Paul challenges and encourages us to do as well, to look up to our risen Savior who shows us that it is not meaningless, that he understands, he's been there, and has gone ahead of us. I pray that you would help us to receive joy and understand it through humility as you have called us to follow you. Be with us to pray and help us take one more step forward because we are weak. Continue to show us your love and grace through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And it's in his name and his power we rest upon. Amen.